Amen. Hey, why don't we bring these house lights up a little bit so I can see what everybody's church outfit looks like. Oh, good. I'm not going to judge. I'm just Myron. You know, I want to see your beautiful faces. Oh, man. We're teaching on hope these last couple of months. Hope is comprised of desire and vision and agency. Now, we define hope as energy for living. So if you want to have passion, a little spring in your step, some get up and go, a light inside of your eyes, a sense of energy and momentum moving you forward, then you've got to have these things. You've got to have desire. You've got to know what you want. You've got to know that your desires please God because they're godly and righteous desires. You, you've got to have a vision for your future, meaning a, a, a kind of sanctified imagination about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, how you're end up, going to end up, and how you're going to enjoy living in God's promised future. And you've got to have agency, meaning a, a belief that you can do stuff to help get you there. Then it's not just a fantasy, it's hope. It's not just some willy-nilly daydream about the future. It's God's spirit alive and at work inside of you, making you believe that the future can be better than the present or the past. And so that's hope, the belief that you can have a desirable future with God's help for God's glory. And these last couple of weeks, we've been specifically focused on, on vision. How do you see the future? That's our playful title for the series and for the book. How do you dream up this future that you want and start getting there? And today, we'd like to talk about obstacles to seeing your vision, obstacles to moving forward, and chief among those obstacles is your mind. I mean, we are the thing that gets in our own way more than anything else. In the King James translation of the Bible, Proverbs 23, verse 7, says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think determines the way that you live. Because when you start to think about things, they start to get bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind. You start to imagine them. You start to attract them. You start to see them. You know, like when you buy, the first time I, I bought a Jeep, I was so proud, proud to get a, a Wrangler, and I'm driving around in my Jeep Wrangler, and I thought, man, nobody has a Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> I thought that for about six seconds until I realized every 20-year-old guy has a Jeep Wrangler. It's just, it's the kind of, you just start to notice it because you're, you're thinking about it. You know, we had this great experience at the table this last Wednesday. So fun. Everybody there. It was total chaos. Some people came into that chaos and went, oh, my God, this is chaotic. I can't handle it. The rest of us went into that chaos going, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. This is great. And I'm going to get fat. <laughs> you could see some people. You see it every Sunday at church. There's some people who are sort of hiding off in the corner. Some just because they're shy and they don't want to talk to anybody, and that's fine. But you can see some that are sort of hiding off on the corner, and you can see it all over their face that they're going, Nobody likes me. I'm surrounded by all these people. They all like each other, but nobody likes me. My whole life, nobody liked me. And you're sitting there going, Eeyore, what is your problem, man? If you would just lift your head and look around, if you could tell yourself a slightly different story, if you would think different, you'd be different. And that's not to suggest that this is purely an issue of mind over matter. If you actually want to change the way you're thinking, it's not just because you're strong. It's because you're going to accept the help God's Holy Spirit is trying to give you. This isn't purely about personal discipline. This is most purely about spiritual discipline, about cooperating with the Spirit of God to change the way you think. And you've got to change the way you think. You have to. Because your mind is the control room for your life. 
And at any given moment, you've got a thousand voices running through your head telling you competing stories about who you are and what you're about. And if you want to succeed in life, if you want healthy relationships, if you want to experience hope or happiness, you've got to control the way that you think. If you want to move forward toward God's promised vision of your future, you've got to change the way that you think. And if you're going to have any good things and be able to appreciate them once you have them, instead of disparage them or demean them or overlook them, you have to change the way that you think. You have to. Wait, did I, did I say that right? Did I say that? Have I said that already? Did I? Because you can't just imagine a future and walk into it. I, I think I'm too fat for this shirt. You have to compete with the little voices in your mind. You don't, this isn't for you. Look at him. You have to be able to drown out the distractions. He thinks he's heard one term, participatory eschatology, penal substitutionary atonement. Because there are always people, including you, trying to distract you from God, what God intends for the future. They're not repenting. Focus on Jesus. Back into the it's so big. And if you want it, if you want what God has promised, you're going to have to learn to turn the volume down on those other voices and function in spite of them. Because they're never going to go away entirely. You're just going to have to get bigger than they are. We're not trying to be clever. Jesus, we're doing everything we can. You're gonna have like all the time. little rash from the plastic chairs because the Lord is judging you for the length of your shorts. You can take it to the God side. You don't have the God side. Don't even worry about it. I'm understand what the Bible teaches. We're not trying to follow Jesus. We're not trying to make you Jew. We're trying to follow you. How big is God? Through you, change the world. If for many of you, like me, that was your absolute worst nightmare, then you're welcome. <laughs> Listen, at all times, in all ways, there are little voices chattering in your mind. You can diminish their volume. You're not likely to get rid of them entirely. So in order for you to move forward, you got to move forward in spite of those little voices. You gotta discipline yourself to control and quiet down those little voices. And, and rather than just arguing with every one of the five Dave McDonald's in your head, you gotta have a clear sense of what God has placed in you to do, what God is calling you to become, and let that pull you forward into the future. I mean, if you're gonna drive from here to Los Angeles, there's a lot of ways you shouldn't go, but only a couple that you should. So it is with your future. If you want to focus on what God has for you, then focus specifically on what God has for you instead of just saying, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that. And I get to practice what I preach a lot, specifically while preaching. Because every time I get up here, I'm distracted. Sometimes I can't see you, so then I imagine that you're all asleep. Sometimes you're wearing something really distracting, you know, either because it's strange or peculiar or I think I can smell it. Sometimes I imagine there's one or two self-involved theological geniuses out there, and I'm sparring with you incessantly the whole time I'm up here. And the only way I get through a typical Sunday sermon, the only way I get through an offering spiel or an announcement or anything is just to focus on why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing. 
And that's not only true for preaching, that's true for being a dad. That's true for being a leader. That's true for being a son or a friend. I mean, the only way you get through complexity is with the simplicity of knowing who you are and what God's called you to be about. you got to have a vision for your life and press aggressively toward it. And you got to be able to get bigger and stronger than the barriers that arise, chiefly those in your mind. Now, in your copy of the journal that we gave you when you came in the door, which you can also, of course, you can download, we teach you a little mental model that helps you overcome the craziness that happens in our thoughts. And this was developed by uh, the, sort of the founder of popular psychology, Martin Seligman. Um, and real simple, he says, you know, th- things happen to us. We'll call those events. And a lot of the events that happen to us are, are bad. But what defines you is not what happens to you. What defines you is how you respond to what happens to you. And in particular, how you think about what happens to you. And I can prove this very simply because everybody, everybody in their lives has some tragedy. Like you, you, you've lived through some stuff. You might be going through some stuff right now. Your circumstances might be miserable. You might be hurting. You might be lonely. You might be sick. You might be afraid. You've got some stuff, right? Well, everybody's got stuff. Now, your stuff might be worse than theirs, but somebody else's is worse than yours. I mean, it's just fair to say we, we don't do, any, or do, do ourselves any good by comparing ourselves to other people. we just got to deal with who we are and what we got and how we move forward, right? And I know that there are people in the absolute most miserable circumstances imaginable that have yet somehow managed to be victorious. And there are people in absolutely minuscule useless, tiny little troubling circumstances that have somehow managed to be victims. And the difference between victor and victim is largely about this right here. It's this right here. It's not what happens to you. It's how you think about what happens to you, which is why you have some people who've lived through horrible things, sexual trauma, abuse, violence, dehumanizing dehumanizing behaviors, and still on the far side, the strong They're clear-headed, and they're victorious. And that's why you have some people who stub their toe and cry about it for the rest of their lives. It's because of what happens here. So in this research, we're told that things happen, an event, something, some trauma, and and then we think about it. And those thoughts, am I spelling that correctly? I don't know if I can talk and spell at the same time. These events trigger these thoughts. These thoughts become beliefs, and these beliefs ultimately drive our behaviors. And a lot of times, people mistakenly put all of their energy into just fixing their behavior. Fixing your behavior is really hard. Not that you shouldn't care about it. Not that you shouldn't try. Let's just acknowledge it. It's hard. If you're going to stop smoking, that's hard. If you're going to stop flipping people off in traffic, that's hard. I mean, I heard. It's a rumor, you know. If you're going to stop being combative and defensive, that's difficult. You'll be far more successful if you aim your energies at changing your thoughts because your mind is the control room for your life. So let's say that you, uh, you call up a friend. You use that antiquated device called the telephone. You leave a voicemail. 
And by the end of the day, they haven't got back to you. The next day, they don't get back to you. Well, now you've got an event, a thing that's happening, and you, you kind of got to deal with it. Many of us will begin to wonder why they haven't called us back. Maybe they're mad at me. Maybe I did something. Maybe the joke I made on their voicemail wasn't actually funny, but I was just nervous. But I don't know why they'd be mad about that. I mean, they know me. They know I get nervous. I don't know what their problem is. You know what? I don't need them. I don't need to talk to them. Do you see how your thoughts start to snowball? As you're completely, you're fabricating, you're speculating why they might not have called you back. And if you let those fabrications, those negative future fantasies roll around in your mind, they get stronger and they get bigger. Because the more you think about something, the more you amplify it, the more you energize it, the more real it becomes, the more insurmountable it becomes. Consequently, the tiny little trauma of not having a phone call return seems now like a, a breach in the relationship. Then when you see the person who never called you back a week later, you're flabbergasted. Oh, I can't believe you didn't call me back. <laughs> or maybe you're frustrated. What is your problem, dude? I left you a voicemail five days ago. Maybe you're defensive. Hey, look, I know I shouldn't have said that thing, but I don't know why you got so worked up about it. And entirely because of your thoughts, not because of the failure to have a phone call returned, entirely because of your thoughts, your behavior has changed. Your behavior has changed. Now, flip it around. You call a friend, you leave a voicemail, they don't get back to you. If what you think is, maybe they got really busy, I should probably check in on them. Make sure I let them know it's not really a big deal. I just want to see if they want to grab coffee. You know what? Maybe something happened. Maybe they lost their phone. Not a big deal. I'll bump into them on Sunday at church. You know, I'll just let them know, hey, man, just reaching out. I love you. No big deal. See how different your behaviors are? And that's something really small. And yet those really small things often frustrate us because our minds, undisciplined, amplify and amplify and amplify those problems. This is why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are told to renew our minds. Throw that up on the screen there real quick for me, Derek. We'll come back to this diagram in a sec. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you want to be good in the eyes of God? You want God to accept you? You want God to consider that you're good? And you got to renew your mind. You change the way you think. Now, that word transformed is the same root word as we get the, root, the, the word metamorphosis. So like the process by which a, a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, that's the process by which you go from the older version of yourself to your new self in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you may have grown up in church, and so it might be hard for you to conceptualize what your old self was like. So think about it like this. Your natural state where you give no effort towards changing, and then the transformed you where you feel like God's Holy Spirit is pulling you into a better future where God is reminding you who he's calling you to become. The crappy you, the best you. And if you want to be transformed, it's going to happen through the renewing of your mind. Your mind is where you consider facts. Your mind is where you make de de decisions and, and, and deliberations, judgments. 
your, your mind is where you control your perceptions. Your, your mind is where you process information and understanding. So are you, are you understanding the world the way you used to? As though everybody is your adversary? As though everybody's out to get you? Or are you understanding the world as somebody who's a child of God? Renewed, sanctified, redeemed, perfected, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because those are really different stories, man. Those are really different ways of engaging the world around you. Are you somebody who looks around and goes, why aren't they helping me? Don't they know how bad I'm hurting? Don't they know how hard this is for me right now? Or are you somebody who goes, how can I love and serve others? See, it's a totally different way of being. It dovetails so cleanly with the research that we're talking about here. Let's go back to that diagram. If you want to change your life, you got to renew your mind. And that's not as simple as a few tricks here and there. It's all the discipline, all the practice, and the power of God's Holy Spirit to kick it way over the two-yard line because you're not going to renew your mind without God. But God's not going to renew your mind without you. We cooperate with God and thus are changed. Let me give you another example. Let's say you have an argument with your spouse, which I've never had, but I hear they're terrible. The argument happens, and skipping over the thoughts for just a moment, let's, let's jump to the behaviors. Let's say you have an argument with your spouse, and fast forward, at the end you say, you know what, I'm really sorry for my part in that. I love you. You're so important to me. I, I would do anything for you. I want to be married to you for the rest of my life. God gave you to me. Uh, l- let's talk about what kind of things we can change moving forward. That's a pretty good outcome after an argument. Now, you're not going to have that outcome if, as the argument happens, you think, what an idiot, just like her mother. You're not going to have that outcome if you go, here we go again. Same story, different day. You're not going to have that outcome if you go, man, I got to eat crap at work, then I eat crap in the neighborhood or in the gym, and then I come home and I got to eat more crap. The only way you're going to have an outcome like that is if in the middle of the argument you go, okay, hang on. There's a lot going on right here. It always takes two to tango. I know I'm not at my best. I got to chill out. I got to remember God has given me this person. I am not perfect. They are not perfect. We're just trying to make it work. Don't inflame anything. Just be cool and listen. See, it's entirely about your thoughts. And if you don't control your thoughts, you cannot control your life. And if we as the people of God want to be the people of God in truth, not just in name, if we want people to smell Jesus on us, see Jesus on us, see the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated through us, then we have to apply our prayer, our discipline, our devotion, our fervor towards changing the way that we think. That's biblical, that's scriptural, and that's true to real life. Because life isn't about what happens to us. Life is about how we respond to what happens to us. And in the midst of the chaos, the uncertainty, 
the, the, the adversity, what we have to get crystal clear on is what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to become. You have to get crystal clear on your desires. I want a healthy marriage. I want my wife to feel valued and loved. I want my family to feel treasured. I want a successful ministry or business where I bless everybody, where I see everybody as an individual so they feel like they're caught up in God's plan when they're around me. You gotta get clear on what you want and then clear on what that looks like when it's fully revealed to you. And that clarity only comes through disciplining and renewing your mind. Amen. Lord, thank you for the timelessness, the wisdom of the scripture. Man, it challenges us. It provokes us. It's not trite little aphorisms or cutesy little sayings, but life and death, truth, glory, and power. And we want all those things because we want to be people who please you. We want to be people who are acceptable to you. We want to be people who are good. Good because you made us this way. Good because we can be better than who we are. Good because our families, our futures, our hopes, our promise can be better than what they are right now. And so, Lord, lead us step by step into you and into your future. And all God's people said, amen.